No Simple Road is stoked to have Sunset Lake CBD back with us as our sponsor. Sunset Lake is the real deal. If you've looked around trying to find CBD and it just didn't do what it was supposed to do, this is the place you need to go. They've got every kind of product you can imagine, including CBD tinctures with sleep gummies that are great for getting to bed, CBD gummy bears and reishi infused chews that can help bring you a little bit of calm in a stressful day. They've got salve. They've got smokable hemp flower that's great for folks like me that don't want to get stoned and paranoid, but want to have the benefits of cannabis. Well, now you got it. And they even carry CBD products for your pets, man. I'm saying this is Darwin approved stuff. Go over to sunsetlakecbd.com and check out the full range of what they have. This is Vermont grown right to your door and they're giving you 20% off. So put in the promo code NSR20 when you're checking out. You're going to get 20% off your whole order. And I know you're going to love it. They even have subscription options open for you. So you don't forget to get your medicine. Go check out Sunset Lake CBD, everybody. Osiris and No Simple Road. We know that many of our listeners are making it out to live music shows all the time, and we mm. love it. We want to help you connect with the artists and music you love so that those live experiences feel even more meaningful. We also want to make sure music fans stay safe when they're out there having fun. The unregulated sale and use of substances is common at many live music events, and unfortunately, so is drug misrepresentation. Boo. Boo to drug misrepresentation. That's Definitely. not nice. We're proud to partner with Dance Safe. To raise awareness about this danger, Dance Safe is a nonprofit organization that provides adulterant screening services as well as peer based education to help support people in making informed decisions about their health and safety. Dance Safe prevents harm from consumption of misidentified substances for thousands of people every year. When you're out there seeing your favorite artist, dance like nobody's watching, but dance safe because your life can depend on it. To donate or learn more, visit dancesafe.org and look out for their booth at your next music event. Even if you take a risk, you should still be safe about it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Wait. If if you're safe about it, are you still taking a risk? Yes. yes. Well, yeah. Yes, because you could be like, I'm going to jump off that bridge, but I'm going to have like a parachute on. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So Dance Safe represents the parachute. Yeah. I've seen Dance Safe booths in a few documentaries. I've never actually seen it at a show that I we've been to. Or I haven't paid attention. I they're at. Um, yeah, we might have missed all the at, bigger like, raves. Yeah, yeah. I saw them at Nocturnal. Okay. And taking care of people. And, and if you sure. guys awesome. out there don't know what they do, if you get some substance at a show and you're not 100% sure what it is, you can bring it to the dance safe table and they will scratch a little bit of it off onto a plate and with a test kit, test it to make sure it is what you think it is. So you're not taking like bath salts or fucking some crazy shit. Yeah, man. You don't want to get messed up like that no, out there. No, That is not and how we you, want to go and out. And if you want, yeah, you can order your own kit. Yeah. To and do it's at home. scary. We've and actually ordered a test kit from them because we want to make sure that we're safe. Yeah. yeah we've been behind them for years. So. And just to make something clear too, we joke on here a lot about safety third, but this is one instance where safety is first. Yeah. So we no, all know like, that's yeah, a joke. Yeah, it's a joke, but like <laughs> take care of yourself, yeah, guys. You can really fuck yourself up. Then once you go yeah. dance safe, then you can dance recklessly. Yeah. So 
Like I said before, if you want to donate or learn more, visit dancesafe.org and look out for their booth at your next music event. No Simple Road just happens to be the official podcast of Skull, Skull and, and Roses. Roses. Again? Again. Again. I love it, man. Celebrating the music and community of the Grateful Dead on April 2nd through the 5th, 2020 at the Ventura County Fairgrounds, Fairgrounds in Ventura County, California. Guys, these fairgrounds are so cool. Mm. Yeah. They're yeah. Really fun. Right on the beach. Right on the beach. This lineup is smoking fucking hot this year too, man. Billy and the Kids. O'Teal and Friends. Voodoo Dead. Melvin Seals. Jackie Green. Keller Williams. Circles Around the Sun. Grateful Grass. Ghost, Ghost Light. Light. What about Big Steve Parrish's band? Grateful Shred. Hang on, we're getting there. David Nelson Band. Midnight North. Stu Allen and Mars Hotel. Rooster Conspiracy. Midnight North. Pink Talking Fish are Dead. What? Cubensis. Full Moon Alice. Alice. So many bands. Jerry's Middle Finger. Dave Harrington's Merry Pranksters. The and Alligators. Big Steve. And the ass bites from hell. The ass hell bites yeah. from hell. And that's not even the whole lineup, you y'all. you got to be kidding me. No. So if you enjoy Grateful Dead music, if you enjoy festivals, if you enjoy having fun and community, this is the spot. And quite frankly, too many bands. There's too many. No, there's never too many that's bands. That's true. Go to skullandroses.com and pick up your tickets, or you can head over to nosimpleroad.com, and there's a link for tickets over there, too. Passes are still available. Get them while they're hot, man. This thing's going to sell out, and then you're going to be at home bummed out that you didn't go. And plus, you don't want a cold pass. No. What? You said get them while they're hot. Oh, that makes sense. So, yeah. Skull and Roses. Do it. (laughs) Skull and Roses. Yeah. What? This episode of No Simple Road is brought to you by... What? Define, Define Premium Cannabis. cannabis. Define. Define. Yeah. So Define has two locations. Um, one out in Hillsboro. And, and one in Forest Grove. One in Forest Grove. And Apple, our wonderful host over here, will be working Monday I'm through smiling. Friday. <laughs> he oh, is. He and he's folding his hands. He looks like a good boy. <laughs> but he will be there um, taking care of all of your cannabis needs. Like, like what, Apple? Well, if you want to come in, whatever ails you, your mind or your body or your mind and your body, come in. Or your we'll, mind's body. We'll hook you up. We got all the great premium flour. We have your topicals, your edibles, your dabables, your vapables. Just, I mean, we got it covered. Yeah. Uh, we got adding new products all the time. One of my favorite recently, I think I said this last week, Crop Circle Chocolates. Yeah. yeah. They and are when you go, um, When you go in and get your Crop Circle Chocolates... You will get ten percent off if you mention that you listen to us. Yeah, no walk in there road. and and go to the Hillsboro location and walk in the door. Show them your ID, and then you're going to go in the back, and then you're going to say, "Hey, I'm part of the No Simple Road family. Can I please have Apple tend my bud?" And Apple will come floating out of the back in a cloud of. So dust. you're not going to go in the back. No, Apple comes no, floating no, out. Can nobody well, come behind? The it counter. does kind of feel like you go in the back. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, and he's going to say. May I help you? And then he, <laughs> you're going to tell do. him what you want, and he's going to magically make it appear at his fingertips, and then you're going to get a free T-shirt and 10% off, and you're going to visit 
one of the locations. I hope you've been practicing your prestidigitation. Prestidigitation. Yes, I carry my wand with me at work. Okay, and that is also, that's how I educate people. Yeah, my he uses wand. a magic wand. No, but if you don't know, come in, we'll take your take our time with you. We will educate you, mention you listen to us, get that 10% off, and you also get a free t-shirt. Absolutely. <laughs> so you. come on over to Define, Define. in Hillsboro or Forest Grove and take, take care, care of your, your head. And shop tour bus, shop everybody. Shop tour bus. Head over, a new intro. Right? Head over <laughs> to shoptourbus.com online or at shoptourbus on Instagram, and you're going to pick yourself up a Grateful Dead-inspired T-shirt or a hoodie or a sticker pack. And Valentine's Day is coming up, and you know what you can do for Valentine's Day? What? what? You can order your loved one, your significant Aww. other, your partner, or your buddy a T-shirt or a hoodie with a Grateful Dead-inspired logo on it, and you can tell shop to her bus in the notes to give your buddy partner friend or loved one a special message and they will hook it up in that hand design one-of-a-kind box with all the little extras and whatnots on the inside and you're going to get a bootleg with that order and if you put in the promo code no simple road when you check out no simple road you're going to get free shipping free shipping Ooh, free shipping guys. you better hurry up though guys because mm-hmm. valentine day is it's like, pretty it's right around the yeah. corner. that'd be a dope right valentine's gift too yeah, like flowers and yeah. chocolates go away pretty quickly like a shirt that would you're going to really have that cute. some shirts i've had over 20 30 yeah, years yeah shoptourbus.com <laughs> everybody go or out there and shop to bus on instagram and get more than you bargained for What, Mel? Outside is crazy right now. It's, I know. It's a wintry it's mix. It's a wintry mix. It's snailing It's snailing outside. No Simple Road is actually part of Osiris Media, you guys. Wow. Ooh. Osiris Media is doing ki- things. Kicking some major ass lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, Freak Flag Flying is out, and that is uh, not an interview, but a conversation with David Crosby between David and his friend Steve Silberman. And it's an intimate conversation where you're going to learn all kinds of stuff about the life of David Crosby. Crosby. And you can check that out at OsirisPod.com forward slash Freak Flag. That's one of the bitching things going on over there. Also, um, Politics of Truth is getting ready to come out. That is, uh, you know what? I'm just going to play you guys the trailer for it. Here you go. Check it out. Hi, I'm Bob Crawford, and beginning this winter, I'll be hosting a new original podcast focused on the 2020 presidential election, The Politics of Truth. On The Politics of Truth, we'll get expert analysis from our nation's most reliable journalists, experienced pollsters, pundits, and historians. And because this is the Osiris Network, we're going to speak with musicians from your favorite bands and get their take on the intersection of music, politics, and activism. The Politics of Truth. First episode premieres February 7th. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Visit OsirisPod.com slash politics to learn more. I think, I honestly think that that's really cool what he's doing. Like, I think that that's important. I'm as fed up as I am with politics in general. I think aggregating. It's approaching it from a different. Yeah, yeah. Looking at it in a different light. light. In a different yeah. light and aggregating it from like aggregating the news from the sources directly instead of getting it through some 
And here I'm not a big political person, but I'd be interested to hear what some of the musicians mm-hmm. that we like yeah. what they're. I think yeah, you know, a lot of people are. don't talk about it. So right, yeah, this will be interesting because people are so gung ho. It's like kind of like a football team. It's even worse. It's yeah. So the, if you start talking smack, then all of a sudden you lose respect. Mm-hmm. So people just like like Dolly Parton. She don't be talking about politics. No, mm-hmm. no. So, and also. This is not part of the Osiris Network, but they are a friend of the show. We want to shout out the Ear Floss podcast. Ear Floss. Ear Floss. Ear Floss is a music history podcast. comes out every two weeks, and they take a look at a different band or musician and talk about the life, history, career, and the music. It is not genre-specific. They talk about all kinds of stuff from Tool to Lizzo, I mean, and everything in between. So you can check them out at um, on Apple Podcasts, just search ear floss and it'll pop up or you can google them check them out they are friends of osiris media and no simple road and remember that no simple road is part of the osiris network media something what are we part of well all of it if osiris has got to do with it we got to do with it (laughs) (laughs) and take that's a Hey everyone, Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters here to let you know that my podcast Inside the Musician's Brain is back on the airwaves for season four, which means it's time once again to get deep with influential musicians from all across the musical landscape to really understand and translate the lessons of success, failure, inspiration, and hard work that are behind the music and the artists that we love. My guests this season include Rachel Price from Lake Street Dives, Sam Bush, Chris Wood, Chris Funk from The Decemberists, Lindsay Liu, MC Taylor from His Golden Messenger, and more. Check us out, and thanks for listening. We're so excited to tell you a bit about today's sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They are a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Music Masters Collective events give you the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Otil Burbridge, Steve Earle, Richard Thompson, former members of the band, the Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glassby, the Fab Foe, and Sean Colvin, and so many more. At an event like the Milk Carton Kids Sad Song Summer Camp, happening this July, you can expect immersive classes, evenings of entertainment, excellent food, and a space for a lucky group of folks to learn, co-write, workshop, and perform with like-minded peers, all with the guidance of Kenneth Pattengale, Joey Ryan, and some of their favorite songwriters. This all-inclusive week in the Catskill Mountains of upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available and spots are extremely limited. So visit www.sadsongsummercamp.com forward slash simple to learn more. That's www.sadsongsummercamp.com forward slash simple. Check it out. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil Story Made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Mm. No 
talking about anymore what (laughs) don't say that word what Derry cosby (laughs) (laughs) or whatever you said no simple road family how you guys doing welcome back to another episode of no simple Simple road Road. this is aaron your host this is apple one of the co-hosts this is Ryder, another one of the (laughs) co-hosts i am not gonna do one of those voices (laughs) you bet you're doing (laughs) who are you Uh, person uh mel i'm one fourth of the no simple road crew and uh, one fifth. welcome one fifth. to yeah, there's Darwin. Darwin's Darwin. underneath welcome my feet right now. Actually, welcome, welcome to, to our dining room. room. It's a wintry mix out, but right it is now. nice it's because from right our dining now. room we can directly look right. We are looking out at the porch mm-hmm. where we would normally be, but there's a, as Aaron has said today, there's a wintry mix <laughs> of hail feet. and it's been like hail and rain and, and sunshine. Sun. And Portland it, just can't make up its mind. Yeah. What it wants you know to what? Do. It has made up its mind. It's going to do it all. It's going to do whatever it wants. It does whatever the fuck it wants. Do what I want. Yes. So this week we have something very special for oh, you guys. Oh, this is so fun and special and cute and awesome. This is part of our lead up to going to Skull, Skull and, and Roses. Roses. Yeah. And if you haven't boom, got your boom, tickets, boom. get your tickets for Skull and Roses now. Go to skullandroses.com or nosipleroad.com and click that thing and you will get tickets to Skull and Roses. And you will have a real thing. good time. <laughs> click it. Click it. Click it and ticket. Whoa. Thanks, Mel. I like it. But... <laughs> What I was going to say is, this is part of our lead up to Skull and Roses, and this week's interview is with Big, Big Steve, Steve Parrish. Yeah. You know, there has been milestone moments for us. O'Teal uh, was a huge milestone. That was like the first big name guest we had on the show. He's still a friend of the show. Yeah. Shout out, O'Teal. What's we up, O'Teal? love you. Love you, brother. Yes. Who and is, wait, O'Teal's going to be at. Skull, and, Skull and, Roses. and Roses too, O'Teal well, and Friends. Gonna, and yeah, o- and then he's going to be up here with O'Teal yeah. and Friends. A couple so. weeks before. So, like I was saying though, there's been the certain moments that have been a big deal for us. And talking to Big Steve was definitely one of these moments for all of us. I was so stoked to get this set up and have it happen. And it, I had, I guess I went into it with an expectation of what it was going to be like. And that expectation was just completely blown out of the water. (laughs) That's what you get. Yeah, that is what I get for having an expectation. My favorite thing when we call somebody and they just like steamroller into the conversation. I love that shit Mm -hmm. because there's so much like you're getting them like all of them. Well, It engages us immediately. Yeah. It it's like, okay, in, that's like, how oh, this is going to go down. And that's how this episode was. This and was a like, grandpa. This was one of those like, put on your seatbelt. Here we go. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. Like <laughs> there was, was so just fun. so many special things. And one thing that I was so excited about was I, when you said it was going to be big Steve, I was like, Oh my God, that, cause that story time last year at Skull and Roses was so profound for me. Like me speci- too. And we weren't even together. No, Aaron and I were in separate quarters, but that like hearing him and that I was there with him. Like he took me there. It was, uh, he took me somewhere. I don't mm. know if I was on the pyramid <laughs> there. with him, but I, there. I went through that whole thing with him. I like, and then he told a little bit of the story during our interview. Yeah. So you guys are going to get to hear that. And, and even a little more. Yeah. Ooh, so we get the thank you, uh, mm-hmm. Steve for, 
joining us here and I can't wait to meet you at Skull and Roses. I'm really excited for this because I was in the beach for that. Yeah. Uh, story oh, yeah. Skull and Roses. Yeah. Yeah. I do get to hear, I get the, to hear a little bit of first time. He is such a like integral part of the Grateful Dead family. Well, like, he is a part of it. Yeah. Like this, uh, just a major part of it. And being recognized by that after being a fan of it for 30 plus years is a big deal to me personally. Yeah. This is one of the dudes that made it happen yeah. night yeah. after night. Literally. Yeah. Like carried Ugh. Jerry's Putting guitar. the wall of sound yeah. up yeah. and yeah. tearing it down and getting it to the next place. The dedication that it takes to do that. Pardon the pun. <laughs> dedication. Oh my uh, I was trying to be serious. Sorry. Go, sorry, go ahead. No, but it's true. Line. Like, he talks about it again in the interview, but like putting the wall of sound up and then taking it down. Like, so what if they were only doing one show, maybe two shows? They have to take it down. It takes so long and he goes into it. But like that and then being able to party and being able to enjoy the show and being able to be on the road. Like it doesn't even seem like there's enough time in the day. Mm-mm. No. it. When he gave the schedule of what his day was like, <laughs> I, I, I could maintain that for maybe a week. No, I think you could, babe. I, I don't know. Not and now. He's got a ton of. Well, energy. not now. And he did this when he was younger. Yeah, <laughs> maybe Ryder. We're could all do younger. It. Ryder's got them young jeans. Yeah, I could probably do it. His jeans haven't been destroyed by chemicals and and time. No, but I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, he's chipping. He's chipping away. Chipping slowly, chipping away. His jeans are gonna have holes in them just like mine. <laughs> I don't know, man. I talking to. People like Steve and who's like Steve? Big Kimok was another oh. one that was in the same mm-hmm. vein. Um, John Cadlesek. Yep, that's an, Reed Mathis. Yep. another one. They are not only storytellers. They're to me, it's like a bard. It's it's poetry and storytelling at the same yeah. time. It 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 transports you somewhere. With just with words, and it's almost like listening to music to me. And that's what struck me. I told him that when we very first started talking to him. That's what really struck me when, I mean, I, of course, I knew who Big Steve Parrish was. But when we saw them at Skull and Roses and they did that rap, it blew my mind. Like, it reminded me of listening to the acid tests in 89 on a puddle. Like the Beatnik uh, yeah. poem. That Kimok told at the end of his interview. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Like it really brought me back to that and it made me reappreciate what the Grateful Dead community is and what it what it does and the people that are tending the fire of it. Like that's the elders of our tribe, you know, if you think about it. Those yeah. are the the chieftains. And they're very welcoming. The other yeah. thing that this was like you said, it's very this was very it's very flattering to have these people talk to us and be so open because it's kind of a peek inside and a welcomed like like welcome in. Here's a story about, you know, my friend Jerry. Yeah. And to be able to hear that directly being told to us is just just an honor for people like Steve to do this. It's Yeah, man. And like we were, you know, jokingly at the beginning of this we were talking about Skull and Roses Festival, but in all seriousness, man, if you can swing it, you should really come. It is, there's no other festival like this. You're not going to go to another festival and have four days of Grateful Dead, Grateful Dead music. You're just the best, the best of the yeah. best. Yeah. 
at like this. And, and it doesn't get repetitive or anything. Like yeah, when we talked to several really people. I was really concerned some, about that. Well, and, remember yeah. a few of them, they were like, we kind of, like everybody, they don't all know each other's sets, but everybody knows like, okay, they're going to play this one. So you don't well, hear the same hear each thing other again and again. Well, and so. I think Apple said it to me before we went down for the last, he's like, I wonder how many St. Stevens we're going to hear this weekend. And it wasn't like that. No, mm-hmm. it's like a couple <clears throat> spread out over days. They and have it really, it, it just, I don't know. It's one of those things that's magical, I wonder if they too. coordinate that. I think that. it just happens because of the magic involved in this, too. Who knows? That That is a big part of why we spend the time and, and the money and all of it to, <clears throat> excuse me, to go to these things is because of that magic. You know? Do you, like I said, I can't think of any other festival that's four days of Grateful Dead music and then... You have like the old school Grateful Dead family there and the younger generation is there and everything in between. There's kids running around. There's there's a shakedown lot. There's great food there. It, the beach is right there. Like everything, everything you could want mm-hmm. it is very it's mm-hmm. pretty sustaining. So if you are into it, come down and hang out with us, man. We're, we're going to be there and we're also going to be at Northwest String Summit. And yay! Yeah, I'm really excited summit. to go back to Northwest Drink Summit. It's yeah, yeah, yay! Are you to excited? be honest? I don't even care who's gonna be there. You just want to go camp. I just want to go be there. Again. Yeah, whoever's gonna be there, like when we went last I already year, know a lot gonna of be them great. we didn't know. Yeah, and, and it didn't I loved matter. It. We mm-hmm. got to know, but the more you don't know, the more you get to know. In a way, let the unknown. We were blown away by a lot of unknowns to us last year. That, I think that was Saturday night of that. Of String Summit was my favorite night I've ever had in my life. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For a lot of reasons, like multiple parts of the night. But like, I don't really remember like <laughs> full days like that. But it was so fucking fantastic. It was so <laughs> great. Was. I remember tripping really hard <clears throat> and sitting on a bench with you and trying to take selfies of ourselves. Do you remember this? And the back of the bench was lit up like a peacock. Oh, yeah. And, I, and we couldn't get the camera to work <laughs> yes. right. It was vibrating. It was on, on the way going down to the yeah. um, forest, not forest stage. The <laughs> We're little, not at Meltdown. The little, um, um, well, the side. Sierra road. Nevada. <laughs> yeah. What the, the hole. Yeah. The <laughs> Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> with that, that place is, a, they turn that place into a magical Wonderland. Land. Yeah. And walking back with you, you're like, I never got to go to prom or summer camp, and I feel like this is prom and summer camp all rolled into <laughs> one. It is. It was. I felt like the world was my oyster. It was the, the world best is night. your oyster. Babe. It is, but like it was like three D and five D. I don't like oysters. That's a <laughs> shitty saying. Oysters are. And gross. It, I remember that too. But we sometimes you're filled with pearls. That we were talking about that it seemed like high school. We seemed like kids. It yes. was so fun. And I that Saturday like night was, was yeah. like a return to high school in many ways. Well, and then the music from um, <laughs> Yonder. Yonder. That doing that they whole did. mashup of all the different. Yeah. That, yeah, that it, was really cool. It was incredible. So yeah. it's been a, a, a really fun week. We just really had a blast the other night. We... Went on Friday night. It's Sunday right now while we're recording. We went Friday night to go see the Mike Gordon band. And it was the first time that this crew, people had seen Mike Gordon solo do his thing. And holy shit. It was mind blown. Didn't know what to expect. No yep. expectations. And was blown away. Was I had thing. a bad attitude about it. 
You did. You did. You did. Yeah. Actually, yeah, for once, Mel was that you did kind of like, okay, whatever. Because, you know, out whoever's listening, I don't care if I have to say that I'm wrong. I'll admit it. Like, I just had a bad attitude. I did not like what I Aaron sent me that I was listening to. Like, I was like, oh, it's okay. It's fine. It's great. But then we get there, and the second, the first note hits, I'm like, Oh, I see what they're doing. They're like, okay. <laughs> okay. 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 It was freaking such a blast. And I was just getting downloads and downloads the whole night. And it was just amazing. So thanks, Mike Gordon, for shutting me up. Yeah. yeah. He should, Mel looked at me like halfway through the show. And she was like, you were right, babe. You were right. That drummer, though, Steve Dang. Kimmock's son. John Morgan Kimmock oh was killing Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That drummer, though. And that keyboardist. There was moments during that show. It, this doesn't happen at every show for me. Certain shows, it's happened. I can remember it happened at String Cheese. Happened at Fish. Happened at Umphreys. There's a moment during the jam when I do not want the song to ever end. Like, I want this feeling right now to continue for the rest of my <laughs> life. Feeling. Do you guys mm-hmm. know what I'm talking oh, about? Yeah. Like, yeah. And that's when the woo happens. Like, woo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nope. I'm, I'm going to blow that. No, don't blow the yeah. mic out. Yeah. But yeah, that's what brings the woo out. And for all of you people out there that hate wooers, I'm sorry. I'm one woo. of them. I'm a There's wooer. No, you you know can't what? control Aaron the is woo. A wooer and I, he's prohibited from wooing next to me. I'm not allowed to woo near Mel. <laughs> uh, Audrey is a whistler. Oh, my we God. Had to, we she had sounds to like t- a train whistle. Me and Jason both had a little. It was like, okay. Because like everybody around. I, I told her. I was like, I've always been jealous of people. I mean, she can whistle so loud. With, with her, her fingers, fingers in her, in her mouth. mouth. Yeah, yeah. But it scared the shit out of me. I like ducked. I can't. My like, ears are too sensitive. It was like, oh, Audrey. Yeah, man. I wish She's I could badass. do that. That is fucking. That's a talent, man. And shout out to those two. Yeah, we Jason had such Audrey, a great night with blast them. With you guys. So fun. I love them as a couple. Love them individually. Mm. They're so fun to hang out with. Yeah. And okay. What? Who remembers the names of the two female listeners that were there? Sarah, Sarah and, and Amanda. Amanda. What's up, Sarah and Amanda? I shout out, girls. Names. <laughs> yes. Yes. First of all, what's really crazy is that I work with a girl named Amanda and her partner's name is Sarah. Oh, okay. Well, that, then it's easy for you to remember. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was a trip too because we were getting ready to start the show. It was maybe five minutes before and I had flyers and stickers in my pocket and I reached back and pulled one of the stickers out of my pocket and handed it to her and she looked at me and she was like, oh my God, that's, I thought that was you guys. I wasn't sure and I didn't want to say anything. She's like, I listen to you guys two times a week. Mm-hmm. I was like, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> well, here's stickers. And, yeah. and thank you, girl. You got, you hung out with us the whole show, all too. Night. Dancing yeah, there with us. Yeah, they did. They tore it up. Us, yeah, boogied with us all night. Mm-hmm. And your friend, Keen. Keen, that I just Aww. met the other day that's a, that's a vendor in the cannabis industry. Uh, I met cool him name. Thursday, and he goes, I'll see, I, I'll see you at the Mike Gordon show. And he popped up, and he right hung out with us. us the whole time. So one weird, fun thing that was going on that night was... We kept on seeing doppelgangers of Gramlesh all night long. <laughs> I, I walked into the <laughs> show and, and I'm thinking to myself, every dude in here looks like Gramlesh. Everywhere I go, it's a it's short, dark hair with a beard. Every person. But, and then I said it, it to Mel. But it was also a certain look too. Yeah. Like it's not just that. Like it was that, but even like 
I don't know. <laughs> there was a guy with the martini shirt on and he really, really looked like Graham Lesh. And then Lesh. you turn around and there's Graham Lesh. And yeah, somebody <laughs> that kind of looked similar. So it made your eyes kind of tricky. And People love it, you, Graham. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought it was just out, me. Graham. And then I said it to Mel and she was like, yes, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I was just we all, all three of us was like, uh-huh. Because that guy that looked When you said that, you were, we were all looking at like a different one. It was like that. Like, is that Graham Lesh? Yeah, he's over there. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. I, so, shout out, Graham. Yeah, man. I That was another <laughs> of these milestone moments. I mean, having one of the Lesh family on No Simple yeah. Road, that's a, yes. kind of a big deal, man. That I mean, you know, musicians are just people, and yeah, I get it, and I understand that, but there are icons in the music industry. There are... Star always has been, always will be. Yeah, Yeah. and it's a big deal. Always will be as much as they can. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Speaking of which, if you guys are interested in No Simple Road, which we hope you are, yeah, if you listen, you are if you're listening, you're probably interested if you're listening, probably. Listen, here's (laughs) the deal. Here's the deal. You're allowed to say stuff. Aaron just looked at me like, okay, dude. (laughs) Listen, here's the thing. What's the thing? This costs money to do, and the way that we pay for it is with Patreon. If you don't know what Patreon is, go check it out at patreon.com forward slash No Simple Road. That's our Patreon page. And that is how you can get involved monetarily with the No Simple Road podcast. Um, you can sign up for a buck a month, uh, two bucks a month, five, a thousand, up to you completely. Cute dollars. A thousand would be cool. Though. I'm down for you to all sign up for one dollar a month. And you're down for that? I'm totally down. <laughs> down. Everybody that Help hears this signs up for a buck a month. Stuff. Things, be amazing. things will be different. Amazing. So that's patreon.com forward slash no simple road. Also, you can go to no simple road.com and go to the family tab and sign up for the newsletter. You can also go to the merch. gear and get some merch. We got t-shirts and hoodies and I think there's some stickers left unless I gave them all away over the weekend. I, I, I think I got a few, but we'll be getting more. Yeah, we'll get more. Um, also, if you are into Reddit, there is r forward slash no simple road. There is at no simple road on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And follow us on Instagram because that is the main communication hub of the show besides the website. And am I missing anything? Discord. That was pretty thorough. Yeah. That yeah, was Discord. Getting good at this. Yeah. Um, memory thing. <laughs> It's the it's the what do you call it ginkgo biloba that I haven't been taking that's oh, helping really? my memory. No, I see it's very good. Oh, I know one thing we're missing. I was just gonna say you're usually really good with numbers, but not necessarily names and things. Nine seven one eight zero eight fifteen twenty four. There we go. Call us. Okay, and we haven't had any reviews um, yeah. from Apple Four Star. F- uh, I'll give you a review. Apple Four Star. What? Apple. Said no out, no reviews from Apple. What, what <laughs> I mean, yeah, no. Guys, ha, cha, cha. When you, Melanie does all the right things Apple, when no one is looking. No, oh no. my gosh, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin after that. Sorry. <laughs> um. Yeah. If go, you. Yeah. Go ahead, writer. Go rate us real quick right now. You can do it while you don't have to pause. Or you can do it while you're doing things on your phone right now. As you're listening to my voice, go to Apple Podcast app. Find our little thing and give us five stars. Our you can thing. our little thing, our show. Give us five stars, and or also give us whatever. Take but like a, take a minute and and leave a review there because Mel yeah, really, really loves reading. They're those fun, reviews. guys. She gets so well. We all get excited, but Mel gets really yeah. yeah she gets the most excited about because it because I like 
I just like words. Oh, it's sunny again, by the way. And in case you were like, what does it matter if I leave a review? If I leave five stars, here's the deal. It matters. We give you good energy on the backside too. That too. But there are charts for podcasts. And when you leave those reviews and you do the five stars, we go up in on the charts. And we are in the top 100 music podcasts in the country. We are also in the top 50 music interview podcasts in the country. What was the one we were talking about the other day? We are also on the charts in Finland. Finland. Thank you, Finland, guys. Thanks, everyone in Finland. Thank you very much. You know, Finnish people dig no simple road. Yeah, Yeah. right on. Thank you guys very much. So, you know, that's the reason that we ask for the reviews. It's not an ego thing. It has to do with the charts, and that helps other people find out about the show. It helps the show grow. It makes us feel good. We're also in fierce competition with With Andy Andy Frasco. Yeah. (laughs) And we're losing right now. Oh, all the time. Okay, it's not that fierce. It's <laughs> we're, getting, we're in a we're in a sissy fight. We're in a tepid. We're in a, te- we're in a tepid uh, standoff. Lukewarm oh, no. standoff. Uh-huh. Totally. We're deciding if we want to be in a yeah, way to go, Andy. Lukewarm yeah, standoff. So all the things that is all the social media platforms. Sign up on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash No Simple Road. I know I say that every week and. You know what? For those of you guys that have done it, thank you. Yeah. Those of you that are on the fence, get off the fucking fence. Pitch a dollar in every month. We'll say thank you. It'll be from our hearts too. I'm getting serious, man. Come on, serious about this. Shows a month. Help us do our stuff. (laughs) That's two cents a day, guys. Two cents. That's more than two cents. Ryder, don't math right now. We don't need your two cents on this one. Three point something cents a day. It's pennies a day, guys. But we're gonna get you to the show now. To the interview with Big Steve Parrish. Should we do that? I think we I should. Think we can. Yeah. This is this is really cool. You guys are really, really going to dig yep. this because we did. So get yourself comfortable. <laughs> adjust your headphones or your volume or wherever you're at. Get yourself cozy. And without further ado, the No Simple Road crew gives you Big, Big Steve Parrish. All right. Here we go, guys. Okay. Ready? Yep. On your marks. I don't know. No, don't do that. We're going to call Big Steve. Yay. Yay. Here we go. Big Steve Parrish on No Simple Road. No big deal. It's kind of a big deal. It's a huge fucking deal. <laughs> Trying to act like it ain't, ain't a huge deal. Cutie patootie. Well, hello. Big <laughs> Steve. How you doing, man? Good. This is Aaron, brother. How, how's your night going? Good. Really good, actually. How are you doing? I'm, I'm chilling, man. I'm hanging out at my dining room table with my girl and my best friend, my best friend, and I let them introduce themselves to you. Hi, Big Steve. This is Mel. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, you bet. Um, where are you guys located? We're in Portland, way. Portland, Oregon. Oh, great. Yeah. One of my favorite places in really? the world. Really? Where yes, are you at? Do your thing. Can you guys hear me? Yep. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah we got you now. You. And then we got one. Yeah, we got one more here at the table with us. Hey, hey, Steve. This is Apple. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. This is an honor. Well, hi, Apple. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so, um, are we recording right now, or are we going live, or how are we doing this? We're just re- we're recording, and we have okay. the ability to edit. You can say or do whatever you want. There's no rules here, man. Okay. Okay. And basically, 
the format is us just getting to know each other and hanging out. So super easy. I'm ready. (laughs) So I was asking, where are you right now, Big Steve? I'm in Sonoma County. Ooh. You know, uh, being a city boy, I always thought that when you get to a certain point, you should have a farm, a little farm, you know. And uh, it's just beautiful in Sonoma County always, and it's a great place. Oh, that sounds like a dream come true. Yeah, man, that that was like our our whole trip. We moved um, like almost four years ago from Las Vegas up Uh up to Portland. And that was our right. whole, whole thing when we moved up here was like, we're going to get up there and f- figure out the lay of the land and then get a little farm and chill out. And we're still working towards that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it takes a while, you know, and uh, I always just thought that that's what you do. You know, Jerry and I used to talk about it a lot, actually, because uh, in a lot of uh, showbiz biopics, which we used to watch a lot, they would have that in the story. You end up on a chicken farm where guys would be in a foxhole all the time in World War II and talking about, man, when this is over, I'm, I'm going to start me a chicken farm, you know? And so uh, it was really funny, but uh, I don't want to get too deep into it. But when I got this place, I was puttering around in the back, you know, and there were these little shed kind of thing there. And there was 12 chickens, man, just popped out under their mouth, you know. <laughs> this hand was sitting on them, and so I said, I guess I'm in the chicken business, and then I started learning about it. It was kind of fun little thing to do, but uh, yeah. <laughs> the universe okay. contrived to put the chickens on your land. Do you still have the chickens? I, I swear <laughs> it's like that. Yeah, I, I'm down to a couple, but I'm going to read up this summer because my grandkids you gotta tell me they want to do uh, the 4-H. They want to 4-H it, so I'm going to help them uh, build a nice coop and get it going again but i, I still got a chicken yeah how old are the uh, grandkids there's only one left uh 12 and 7 oh and, that's uh, a fun age to do stuff with oh yeah they're great they're do, great do they trip out um, on grandpa oh yeah of course you know they try <laughs> to they try to put up with me and my uh ancient knowledge of the past <laughs> and uh they, if they listen to my radio show they'll go oh Hey, that's Papa. Yeah, turn that off. Okay, we can hear him later. <laughs> but no, they get. I get due respect. I get a lot of fun from all my family. It's good. Aww. But I I travel a lot, and it's just you have to you know have a really great home base to do that. Sure. But anyway, yeah, we've we've, uh, we've learned uh, that too. Let's stop being so freaking nice to each other now and get down to the tax. What are your questions? So, so check it. Questions. So check it out, man. I I want to tell you something first. Last right. year, last okay. year at Skull and Roses, okay. you, you did that rap, and uh-huh. Uh-huh. I was he, he did rap. Yeah, yeah like that, that was so fun, and I was tripping so hard, and it was okay. so fucking amazing, man. It was by far my favorite part of anything mm. that happened at the festival, and I even said it on the recap wow. we did of the festival. I had so much fun listening to you, and when that happened, I was like. I need to fucking meet Big Steve. I need to talk to him. Oh, great. I want to get to know this yeah. guy. Yeah. And, and I well, saw you, know, you a bunch uh, of times. I didn't beautiful. want to bother you. Well, that's good. That's nice of you. But you always can talk to me. Um, the thing is that that show was so great. And I just got off texting with my band. I put my band together. You see, many, many years ago, we'd set the Grateful Dead equipment up, you know, and then we'd start playing. And so uh, 
Ramrod played uh, rhythm guitar. Healy played lead guitar. And Jackson played bass. And I was playing drums. And we had a harmonica player. I'm not going to say his name. And anyway, so we're, we used to play every day. you know. And I would always play with Jerry in the Jerry Garcia band. And in the Grateful Dead, too, you see, because Jerry would be the come into the shows early. He would always want to be there when we were setting everything up. And then he would, we'd throw out a quad box and plug his amp in and he would stand there and play and look around and watch everything we did from the beginning. He was like that. And in Garcia band, the first night that when I was the youngest guy on the crew and he wanted to go play in nightclubs, nobody else wanted to take his guitar and amp. So I said, well, I'll do it, Jerry. You know, he couldn't believe it. He goes, really? You would? I go, sure, of course, you know. And so we went to the Matrix, and it was 1 o'clock in the afternoon. We got there. The guy was in there, man. It was all dark and everything, you know. So we just sat there, uh, getting to know each other and talking about all this wild stuff. And that was the start of a real deep friendship between us. And, of course, that was the start of the Garcia band that night, too. He was playing with Howard Wells that that particular night. But um, And then I got to do everything with him besides Grateful Dead. So when he would sit in with people... Of course, Ramrod would go with me a lot to teach me stuff in those early days, you know, and he was great. And then in The Grateful Dead, we'd all be together. And that really came first in our lives, you know. Yeah. He had to have that down. But um, it was so amazing. It was like falling into a renaissance uh, time of life where people were teaching you things everywhere, you know. We had a place called Lambic with Owsley started that, and you downstairs you could learn how to make guitars upstairs you could learn how to make amps in the middle place we were building a studio you know you could learn carpentry and everything else Holy we shit. all knew that stuff because we've been lucky enough to pick up things like that and, and it was an amazing thing how everybody's skills came together man on this amazing band and crew you know yeah. wow. and nobody else was like that even man the other bands would all come and hang out with us because they felt this thing right. that we had you know and you, you could tell that we were onto something how did that happen massive, because we took massive doses of psychedelics together you know and we mm-hmm. thought that all day we sat around and and we we, we as we would say, we contemplated our navels. Well, not quite. Man. Right. We really were thinking and talking all the time, you know. And in those days, a, a PA was nothing but a twelve-inch speaker and a wooden box, you know. And mm-hmm. and there was there was just the same that was in a movie theater was what they used at rock and roll shows. And we just couldn't believe there's got to be something else in this world, you know, besides that. And so Alsby started at first. I mean, at a, a day at. I think it was at the Fillmore, he turned these speakers around and the band just went, wow, we can hear our voices. That was the start of monitoring. That started a huge thing, you know, a change of people being able to hear themselves sing. And then that, everything was new in our world, you know, and so because we thought about this stuff and we had this amazing people around us like John Myers and John Wickersham and, I mean, uh, uh, Healy and, you know, all these great sound people and all these great guitar makers, you know, Doug Irwin worked with us there, and Rick Turner, and all these other guys who were just teaching all the time, and great teachers. You know, Bob Matthews was there with us, and and we also, we had skills, myself, Ramrod, Jackson, and Kid, and, and the guys, uh, those guys mostly from Pendleton, Oregon, uh, where most of the crew was, except for me and Kid, and uh we had skills of a different nature. You know, we could be on the street, we could fight, we could do the stuff that you had to do in those days to get a rock and roll band down the street. Because, 
it was no joke, man. I mean, the fucking unions, they didn't like us. We had long hair. We smoked pot wherever we went. You know, we, we were wearing tie-dyes, and they couldn't dig that when you got in the middle of the United States, you know, in truck stops and, mm. and stuff. Oh, we it, had was, a lot it was of, a different we trip We had to be back pretty then. tough. Yeah, wow. it was and, and way the cops, you know, for having a joint in your hand like I got right now, that was 10 years in prison, man. You know, mm-hmm. places like New Jersey and all that. And so we were constantly getting busted everywhere. And <laughs> uh, we had the pranksters and the Hells Angels with us all the time. So that was another thing. We were being followed by the FBI, the DEA, the fucking regular local cops. And, and so we had to be pretty smart and be slick. And we were no dummies, man, let me tell you. Well, no, you wouldn't but, have made it. You couldn't have made it unless you were quick, too, in a lot of ways, you know. And we were big guys, mostly, and, and not all. I mean, you know, uh, that wasn't it. Just our physical presence was something that I believe, and I still say, is because we were psychedelic warriors, you see, and we didn't have any fear. We believed in the Grateful Dead music, and we believed in what we were doing. Bringing that music to people was a healing thing. And uh, it's like, I sometimes feel now like, you know, in Moby Dick, like, uh, here I am left to tell the tale of yeah. all, all these guys that are gone now, man, you know. Yeah. And uh, even, you know, Jerry and Pigpen and Janice and all these people that we lived in this world with, man, it was just a whole other world. And, of course, the pranksters, you know, they came down uh, from Eugene and Oregon and uh we spent many great gigs in Portland with them. Holy shit. And it, whenever they were around, man, it was just a party and a half with Keezy and Babs and all those guys. That was a, so much fucking fun, man. And to be in the middle of all that, you knew you felt lucky. I felt like I was the luckiest guy in the world, yeah. you know? And you, you would just wouldn't believe all the stuff and all the people that we met. I go over it all the time. And it's never ending when you think about all the other musicians and, and the great artists that we got to deal with. And we, everybody came to the Grateful Dead. It was like a cultural thing, you know. It's not and over. So, uh, <laughs> but I remember standing on stage with Joseph Campbell. And, you know, he was there because Mickey had got him to come to the show. And he loved it so much he came back time and again and hung out with me, you know. And here's this guy who wrote all this great mythology, books about mythology, you know. We... We revered him and knew about him, you know. Uh, it's so strange because everything in our world was like destiny, man. It was like we were supposed to be there, and it would hit you right between the eyes. Mm-hmm. So when we would be high all the time, or let's say LSD or whatever, even the great marijuana that we have and had in those days, it's a very psychedelic world when you're living like that, you know. Yeah. And you're living in the sunshine. You're living in this bright place, man, where everything is really cool, you know, and you can... Uh, see, even the amplifiers that we worked on and designed and built were, were so like that. This welding point of, of showbiz and us until we became this accepted thing, you know. So we went from not being accepted to being loved by everybody right. wherever we went. You was know? that change pretty and, dramatic, you know? Like, was there oh, like. Oh, it took a while. It took okay. a while. I mean, we had a fight. I mean, I would. When it came to us being in Cleveland one night and the union, the IA guys stuck a gun in my face, you know, and they said, you're a pretty nice kid, but we're going to kill you if you don't, guys don't stop this, you know. Oh, they wanted to set up our gear. No, you can't touch our gear. You guys don't understand it. And so lucky enough, my dad was, a, he was very high up in the Teamsters and I called him and he put immediately cards came to us and we became union guys. Now after that, 
it changed a little uh, bit. Right. And and we got the chance, and then we went everywhere in the country. The Grateful Dead became the biggest act in so many ways and places. And Madison Square Garden and everywhere that we went, the unions began to love us because we were together. They couldn't believe it. You know, here's the stonest bunch of peoples in the world. And don't tell me that smoking pot makes you lazy. I myself, Ramrod, Joe Winslow, four other guys, we put up that wall of sound. We built every fucking bit of it with our own two hands, man. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? You know what the wall of sound is? Oh, yeah, man. But if you don't mind throwing a little... Like a little uh, blip in there about the wall of sound when you're done with this trail because yeah, that would be awesome. I'm, what do you mean? I'm telling you yeah, about it. Right tell, yeah, yeah, tell us you about the wall of on, sound. The blip's coming. The blip's coming inside the blip, inside the blip. And the blip just, it's Big blip. Steve. You just got to hang on and all go right, with all right. it. You better hang on and listen. But the I was getting excited. The wall of sound, the wall of sound was nobody ever did that. You know, it was like a, it was a quest like uh, of a, unbelievable proportions. It was like taking that around the world like we did was like taking a herd of elephants who couldn't stay in one place for one moment, you know, and, and to try to explain to people in Europe that we were bringing in 75 tons of equipment to do a rock and roll show. What the fuck? They couldn't wow. fucking believe it, yeah. you know, and so they would just walk away and disappear if we had to do everything ourselves always, you know, but we put that thing up day after day, one nighters and I defy anybody to tell me that they would smoke pot like we did all day and still do that work. And no one ever got hurt. And it was dangerous. 35 feet in the air Fuck and yeah. stacking up these things, oh. you know, and heavy, heavy stuff. How did you have time everything. to do anything else but build up and tear down? They didn't. Because we were Superman. I can't explain wow. it. We had, to get up, we had to get up at 6 a.m., right? And then you had to be out to the hall by 8 o'clock and the truck doors had to be open. And then by 10 o'clock, all the trucks were empty, you know. If it wasn't, the scaffolding had to be perfect the night before the scaffolding crew had to get that just right. Otherwise, it didn't work. So if that was correct, we could then start erecting the uh, speakers. We put them all up and that took till about noon and they were up and four of us did that and then then we got down and wired it after we got a small lunch at about noon and that was one o'clock we were done wiring uh i'd say no about two o'clock we're done wiring and we plug everything in and test it start doing some routine testing of the speakers and uh then the band came in about four o'clock and they started sound checking and so we would start by um about seven o'clock, we stopped for dinner. You know, sound check would go a couple of hours or three hours sometimes. And then the doors opened about seven and the show was at eight and we stopped at one or two in the morning. And then four hours after that, we loaded out and we drove to the next town. And so there was no time to fuck around, man. And you didn't fool around either. No. It was dangerous if you couldn't do it and not many could. And I defy people to even stay up as much as we had. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, after but staying up in the like early that. days, we stayed up like on you know we used chemicals a lot right. in, in different ways, and and uh, but we knew what we were doing because you see we we were very lucky to have people around us like Owsley, who was a genius of that stuff, and like Jeezy, mm-hmm. who taught us about that world and the mistakes that everybody made. We all knew if you were street kids like some of us were, man, we there wasn't much we didn't know growing up. You know, uh, it was hard in, in big cities like. Uh, when hard drugs came around, and I'm going to get back to something right now. Okay. Right, so the Ass Bites was what we named us, right? The band of the crew, and we played before the band came in, and the people started loving it. 
when they sometimes, you know, would be where we would play right before the audience came in and they would come in and listen to us and we started getting pretty good, you know? Right. And, uh, Jerry would tell me that all the time. He said, you can play drums with anybody in the world. Now you realize that and I go, yeah, I ain't leaving you boss. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that then, uh, now they asked me for this skull and roses to put the, a band back together. So I've got the roadies. Uh, I got AJ who now does weird gear. Mike McGinn, who does sound for the Wolf Brothers. Vadim, who uh, does uh, gear for O'Keel and the Wolf Brothers. Uh, Don Was. And so Was is going to join me. Oh, and he's going to wow. play bass. And Vadim's going to play drums with me and switch off. And we're going to do vocals together. It's really going to be fun. We're doing that at Skull and Roses. The yeah. ass bites from hell rise again. And this is the historic <laughs> yeah, night. Yeah. We just finally got it back together. You see, because I had the gauntlet was thrown down before me, and so I step it up. Got to pick it but up. But anyway, uh, anybody else got any questions? Oh anybody? my god! Yeah, I got. I got one. I want to get heavy with you for a second. All right. So check it out. I'm I'm almost fifty. Apples apples fifty. So my first <laughs> my first Grateful Dead show was in 1989 at the Forum in L.A. And 1989 at the Forum in L.A.? Yeah, okay. in February. And I walked in that show one person and came out another. My entire yeah. life was changed from that show. And that world, the Grateful Dead world, has given me a really beautiful life, man. I, I toured in a school bus. I raised a family. I do this show i get to talk to you all that stuff happened what what do you because you have a unique perspective man you were in it you were part of that that whirlwind that picked me up and are yeah well i remember that show and it's funny that you say that because the forum is one of the worst halls in america to work in you know my fucking face melted there and (laughs) And yeah, see, that doesn't matter. And no matter where it was, where the Grateful Dead were, it transformed into a temple. You see, we knew, we felt that. If you were enough of a person to understand that, that's why you were there. And that's what I'm talking about, this destiny thing. I mean, what other band, no other band in the world ever played at the foot of the Great Pyramid at Giza. And no other band ever did it the way we did. And we stayed there for weeks, man, and got to know the place and got to know all about Egypt. And there was Keezy with us and all our friends and a couple of Hell's Angels, too. And we were there night after night in the Sahara Desert riding camels and doing amazing things. And then we find out, if I told you all that it took for us to get there and to bring all our equipment there, and to get all our families there and friends and what we did was crazy. We had to go to the State Department and go through all this stuff. And it was a window in time where the Egyptians and the Israelis were having peace talks. Oh, because shit. Jimmy Carter was president. And there was a window opened up. And Egypt let us come there, man. And we built a, a soccer place for the kids. And we played and lived at the Mina Village right where the pyramids are, man. And we, we, the pyramid, we climbed the pyramids and we hung out the pyramids every day. And then we went all over Cairo, too, and all over Egypt. But the thing is this, that 25 years later, it was actually about 15 years later, I found out that we were there on June 14th, 15th, 16th. It was full eclipse of the moon at the show, right? Yeah. And 
we played there and we knew this before we had gone because in the Haight Ashbury we used to when we get high we would read the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Have you ever heard of the Egyptian Book of the Dead? Yep. It's the book the Egyptians they wrote it five, six thousand years ago, maybe seven or eight. And it had stuff in there uh, that was incredible. And one of the things that in the beginning it says the the sled of the dead will be pulled by the Grateful Dead in the afterlife. So we always thought that was cool. There's the name Grateful Dead in the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Well, I didn't know that. Then it was pointed out to us later, and and I didn't even know this either because I never read the whole thing. But in the back of the book, and in one of the later chapters, it says this. The Grateful Dead will make a great noise at the pyramids <gasps> 25 years before the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Holy and by shit. God, that was the exact freaking day we were there, man. A what? full eclipse of the moon playing at the pyramids. <laughs> and why, why were we there? And why does that book that was written 5,000 years before, how did it know the Grateful Dead were going to be there at that spot? You know how we felt, how I felt when I found this all out, man. And it was even after Jerry, uh, it's it's mind-blowing, man. And I realized that our whole lives had been led this way just from when I was a child. And every step I took in my life brought me to this place, you know. What was the meaning that you acquired through that? Like when you guys all like tripped out, like, holy shit, what... What came of it? Nobody knows. Nobody, Nobody even knows. talks about it. Nobody's ever what? sat down and we haven't ever all talked about it. We sat, we, we, we knew at the time that we were on some journey that was oh unbelievable, you know, to be in this place and to see all that we saw and what it opened up for us and what it meant to be playing at that spot and all the stuff that went down. My God, I can tell you stories about how a busload of uh, American tourists pulled up and we were sitting in front of it, me and John Hagen, and, and uh, we just you know, we're taking the, um, putting the cymbals on the drums and mm-hmm. just getting ready for the show that night. And this general came up to me and said, do you guys realize where you are? Who gave you permission to be here? He starts screaming at me. He was a, from Vietnam, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and he just hated the fact. He said, you rock and roll trash. What are you doing here? And I told him, I said, you know what, man, we're here because we're supposed to be here. That's I right. just gave him such a hard time. His general Osmanski was his name. He was a real artillery general in Vietnam, and I knew who he was. And I'll tell you about that some other time. But I had to tell him about, don't you fucking, you don't have no idea who you're talking to. And he couldn't believe it. He stormed off, and he wouldn't let those Americans come off the bus even to see us there in front of the pyramids, where everybody else was so great that we were there. But that was just indicative of what it all meant, you see. Nothing could stop us, is what I'm trying to tell you. We were there. What we went through to get there, to get all our equipment there, to be there, and the expenses that we put out, and just why? And then to find that out, that it's written all those years before. It does put a chill down your spine. How how was the literal show (laughs) that night? That, like... Oh, my God. It was, like, unbelievable. You know, I can remember we had Hamza Aldean open, you know, with 11 of his brother and brethren from the Sudanese, you know, and they're about there playing Tars in a line, you know, and Jerry grabbed me so hard because we, you know, we knew Bo Diddley, and when we worked with Bo Diddley, with the Hells Angels of all people, had introduced us to him, and he played with the Grateful Dead a few times, and Jerry grabbed me and he said, Steve, listen, man, Bo Diddley, Bo Diddley. <laughs> they were playing that beat. They really were on the tar. Bum, 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 you know, and, yeah. and then I said, you're right. And then we, we realized, of course, 
you take a look at that bow, man. He was obviously Sudanese, you know, right. because it's it's just these kind of attachments to the cosmos that was always happening to us, you know. Uh, when when they wanted us to go to Egypt, man, they brought every um, beautiful thing was on display in America of King Tut that he was buried with, you know, right. and his tomb. Uh, which was opened in the twenties by Lord Carnavan, uh, was actually gold and sarcophagi and these beautiful thrones and, 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 and death masks and things of gold and, and, and beautiful stones from those the treasures of the world, man. And so that was what was on display everywhere. But when we were in Egypt, we went to the Cairo museum and there was Jerry and me and Keezy and we were walking around in there and, and there I stopped him. I said, guys, look, because we were in a room that was all of the rest of the stuff that he was buried with. And it took up this giant room and another room and another room. And it was cases of stuff that everyday things. And there was a basket of cannabis seeds, man. And I said, Jerry, look, he couldn't be, he had to be buried with a big basket of cannabis seeds, man. <laughs> he ain't wow. dying without his weed. You know these people were high, man. <laughs> stuff, you know. Well, what exactly we wanted to know. And, uh, you know, uh, just the, there we were, every place in our lives. There was guys like Neil Cassidy. There were guys like, um, uh, you know, Ginsburg would come around. Burroughs would come around. Uh, all these amazing people that we, we had read as kids and, and trying to be something different and, right. and educate ourselves. And then none of us went to college. You know, we are all self-taught and, and we all knew that we probably, we were all juvenile delinquents. all had a lot of problems with police in our lives. Everybody, Jerry, right on down, you know. And, uh, so we knew without the Grateful Dead, that was what bound us together in this amazing way, man. And that, look how it still goes on. That's what I was going to say. On yeah, yeah, what do you that, make of that's that? That's what I was going like, to say. Like, we built it. It was built to last. What? You know, we knew that. But, <laughs> but it's not going to last forever because that's what the easy always said. Nothing lasts forever. And it yeah. doesn't. Well, it but changes. Some things do. They change. Exactly. It mutates. Mutates. You know? Totally. Yeah. I mean, when, when that engine was humming and and it was happening on all sides. It was cylinders, a well-oiled machine. It, it was a well-oiled machine. It, it, was, it, was, a th- it was a thunderclap. It was, it was rolling thunder. It really was. It, and you couldn't escape when you were in those halls and in those rooms and the music was playing and everybody was spinning and dancing and everything was happening around you in the colors and the tie dyes and all of it. You couldn't escape what was going on. It was totally religious experience to some people, you know, and if we tried to act like it was mundane work that we were involved in, it never, ever felt like that. It couldn't, you know, so it's like Bedouins. uh, It was like sacred stuff that we were doing. And and there were times it felt like we were traveling all the time, you know, between, especially me and Jerry, because, with having two bands that were successful, like the Jerry band. And I got to manage that and we got to go wherever we, you know, really wanted to. I wish we'd have done on hindsight, a couple of things differently, but you know, uh, when you have two bands like that, it's very competitive between the two bands. Really? Oh yeah. They always are jealous of each other. That that happens to everybody, you know? And, uh, then, Another mystical thing was when Dylan came and hung out with us, you know, and and that all started in the most amazing way because Jerry and I one time said, let's go down and see Dylan, you know, so we, we jump in my car, we go down to the Warfield Theater in San Francisco. Now, Dylan was in his phase, this was way back in the 70s, and he was going 
went out on stage with his face painted white, you know? <laughs> okay. And uh, so when you go in the Warfield Theater in the back door, when you open the back door, you're right on stage. When you go in the back door, the stage door, you're on stage. Right. And you're in the wings, but you come right out there. We knew where we were because, you know, that was our home theater. And so we kind of were up against the wall when we came in. And Dylan was playing, and he stopped. And he looked right at Jerry and that was this amazing beginning of this friendship that they had, you know, and mm-hmm. Dylan always wanted to play with us. And so, uh, it's really strange, but I loved Dylan my whole life. You know, and when I was a youngster, teenager, I was playing his records all the time on this scratchy little Victrola, <laughs> as we called it in those days that I had, you know, yeah. and his first album and his second album, you know, and so my father kicks the door and he goes, what the hell are you listening to, man? That is the worst singer. And he grabs me and he says, come on down here. And he puts on Frank Sinatra, you know, and he says, listen to this. This Just sit here and listen to this man sing and then tell me that that guy you're listening to can sing. (laughs) And I said, it's not that. He's the poet of my generation. You know, I don't care. I like Frank. He can sing, but this is something different. And I believe that Dylan is singing beautifully too. So we had this argument and he sits me down. I'm sitting down there on this couch in our family home, you know, and I'm looking and I'm listening to his Frank Sinatra album. And this lecture goes on and on. And anyway, now jump ahead 20 years or so. And then I'm waiting at the studio, in our studio in San Rafael at Front Street. Mm-hmm. And there... I'm sitting in the front room, the front office of there. You know, it was a pouring rain. It was pouring rain. The guys are in the back rehearsing and playing, and I'm waiting for Dylan to show up. And I'm wondering to myself, how is he going to come here? Is he going to be alone? Is he going to be with an entourage of, you know, posers and people? And and he's going to come in a limo, or he's going to be dropped out of a helicopter on this stormy (laughs) night, you know? And, And I can't figure it out. You know, I'm looking around, and now, what we did, you know, at the studio, you take your old furniture from your home, you know, and so that couch that I got that lecture on, right, right, was ended up when my mother was done with it, she gave it to me, and so it went to my house in Mill Valley. I took it up there, you know, and I had it there. Then when I got another couch, I took that couch to the studio right. where everybody took their discarded furniture, and we we kind of had this front room that was, you know, had this couch in it, and it was my couch that one. And so I'm sitting there and there's kind of a knock at the door. You know, I go out, open these glass doors and there's Dylan, man. And he's soaked, man. He looked like a, he was drenched. It was pouring so hard. And he had, he didn't even have a shirt on. He just had a leather vest, man. <laughs> and there was nobody out there. He was there alone. He didn't have a suitcase. He didn't have anything with him. I don't know how he got there, man. He, he materialized. Like, <laughs> there was nothing but a few soaked bums out there on that street. And then he, here he comes, you know, uh, coming in and, and he, he comes in and he sits down on the couch and we're talking. I say, hi, Bob, you know, I'm Steve. And so, uh, I said, the guys are back there playing, you know, and, uh, I'm going to go tell him you're here because they're really excited, you know, and he says, oh, good, you know, and he was real nice. And so I went in there and I told him, I said, hey, Dylan's out here, guys. And so, you know, everybody kind of put down their instruments. They were all excited. Mm-hmm. They followed me back out to the front and we go out there and now he's stretched out on that couch and he's fast asleep, <laughs> right? And he's sleeping, snoring logs. And, and so everybody just tiptoes out. They go, well, when he wakes up, Steve, you know, tell him we're back here. So I leave alone too. But then I peeked in there and I thought to myself, oh, 
Holy shit. Holy shit, Perry. There's that fucking couch that you got that lecture on from your father. And there's oh, that shit. guy, Bob Dylan, sleeping on that <laughs> fucking couch right where you were sitting. What? And that blew my mind right then. I said, this is another destiny That's, fucking thing. Yeah. How else did that couch wow. have followed me to that place? And how would I have ever known that that day so many years before? And that Dylan would end up sleeping on that couch. No way. Yeah. That's amazing. That's, that's Sometimes crazy. parents are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. True. Exactly. So, true. Uh, but sometimes they're right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a lot of times they're right. Time. But, <laughs> uh, you usually don't figure it all out until later. Exactly. Yep. You know? <laughs> but that right there was one of those things that was just like the Egyptian uh, right. realization that we were on a course that was somehow bound to this life, you know, that we were leading and everything that we yearned for or thought about, we could manifest in a lot of ways, you know. Did you feel like and that before so, you learned them? Like before you were introducing well, I, them? Well, I, I realized that when I was a little kid, I had extrasensory powers, you know, and you don't understand it until you finally start realizing it takes a long time it to does. understand how to use them and how to, what you feel and that you could, that we all have them. Right. It's just how far you want to tune into them, you know, and you can feel it on the back of your neck. Like anytime I'd meet somebody, I would know whether I like that person or whether it was going to work or not. It's a strange thing, it but strange. it's never let me down. And yeah. it really worked real good in, the, in, in travels with the Grateful Dead. And there were times we had to make split decisions on which way to go and what to do. And that was always there with us. Also, uh, it's something like when we would all be in hotels together, you know, and hanging out, we, we had to room together a lot. And so you get to know everybody's interested yeah. habits and everything about them that way. And so when sometimes years later, we'd be when we all had our own room and we could afford the best, you know, and we were at these giant stadiums, we'd come in in the afternoon and the band would come in and we'd sit there talking and my God, everybody had the same dream that night, man. It's so weird. You know, I mean, everybody would come talking about, hey, I had this dream, and then everybody was like, fuck you, I had that same dream, man, last night. And so you realize that you're tied together in this psychic way. Now, when the band of Grateful Dead type playing, you know, it's like an antenna Mm -hmm. that's pulling in strange things and putting out strange things at the same time. And like, for instance, every time that we lit up DMT, which Owsley grew on the end of a stick in a jar. It's a mold that looks a lot like fucking bubble gum and uh, uh, plastic somehow put together. It okay. smells so fucking weird. It smells like shoes. But when you smoke it, it's so strong and nothing ever that I haven't smoked as strong as that. And it would put mm. you instantly into a psychedelic experience, you know. But we knew that when we did it on stage behind the amps, always something would blow up with electronics what? every single time. It's too much energy. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you sit there and you could see it. We'd be huddled back there with passing the old corn cob pipe with a little hunk of it in there. And the band would smell it and they'd turn around. They'd do, what are you guys doing? Bam, something would pop right away. It was so crazy. <laughs> a tube, you could see a tube, you know, uh, shorting out. Uh, the AC would go out sometimes and just pop off on something. But it was always, we were always aware of that, you know. So there were things in our world that were so electric all the time. I mean, we lived with electricity, and we called LSD electric. We didn't call it acid or anything like that. We said, he's electrified, or, you know, would you like some electric? That's how we called it. And uh, it was like that. We knew that. Because you def- I defy you. I defy anybody to tell me what that little drop, that tiny drop, which holds 
in it the slightest billions of a pinhead of something else that triggers your whole body to go into this other thing. You right, see? Yeah. And what is it? No one can tell you. Man. Now, what we were taking then is not these doses, these micro doses. They were <laughs> massive doses because we didn't know any better. We started taking Sandoz acid, which was from a pharmaceutical place. Right. You know? And when that came out pharmaceutical, it was great. Man, there's nothing like that. That Super was the clean. best, the hallucinations, the fucking whatever happened to you. And that was what Alvin was trying to do, make something as pure as that. And that was his quest for a while, you know. And so he was able to accomplish that by means uh, that would take me another couple of 15 hours to explain right. to you. But, he, you know, so when we took that stuff all the time with us, we, it began to unlock the secrets of the universe to us. And I know it sounds silly to people because it sound what silly. your rock and roll really mean to the universe? It means a lot. That, what, do you, what, do you, the, what does it mean to you? Because you've been so part of the because inside. Because in the beginning there was a sound and to bring sound and to make sound for people to hear, you know, who knows if our ancestors haven't been in this quest to lead to this day, you know. In the words of the songs that Hunter wrote, it would seem like he was writing our destiny before yeah. even we understood him, you know? Well, even for people that he had never met, like me and Apple and Mel, like, exactly. it, it did it for us, too. I hear the music just I like you do, I think he wrote St. Stephen about me, but he would never tell me. He always said, <laughs> I write these things about everybody, but I'm not saying, you know? Because right? he, was, he was inscrutable in that way, but you could tell. And sometimes he would come up to me while the band was playing, just blasting away it's one of his other songs, and he would get in my ear and start telling me what song he was writing that moment. He would always be over in the corner, you know, while the band was playing, and everybody was partying and blaring away at this amazing moment. I'd see him sitting in the lotus position on an equipment case, you know, and he'd be riding away on his pad writing another song. It would just come to him at different times and places, you know. So and the muse is what it's all about, yeah, man. Giving say. it a home and a place to hit mm -hmm. you, you know, and make it comfortable. It comes in many different ways. And there was all this stuff around us. It was the stuff like you found in Paris in the 20s. You might have found in other places, you know, in their peak of their cultures. In Alexandria, when they had the library going and the knowledge was flowing to people and everything was peace and love or whatever, you know, these moments were what the hate Ashbury was like. And so to be spawned out of that and to have all that with us, my God, what do you think? Every day was like a holiday in a way, but it, it was hard work to do that. It and so work, it took yeah. certain people, and you had this conglomeration of people that was incredible, you know? That's all I could tell you. It's still Everybody I mean, did their job really well. The dude. vibration is still out there, man. It's still happening. It, it's... It's echoing in all corners of the world right now. And, and the music is being played in every city in the country right. every day. And, but, and so it, it, the music truly never stops. You're saying something, right. though, Steve, about like there was a lot of participation, it sounds like. with like with Well, the audience is what it's all about. Right. Excuse me for interrupting you. No, no, no good. Go no. That, that's what, that's what, there would be so many times people would come to me and say, Steve, you know what? Jerry played to me last night. Mm -hmm. I go, come on, stop it, you know. And I would ask him, and he says, yeah, of course I did. Because, you know, <laughs> you take that energy off of those people. And uh, it's it just, you know, Jerry always liked to have the lights on a little bit so he could see the face of the crowd, you know. And uh, if it was too dark out there, he didn't like it. He liked them to be a part of it with him in every way. And that was where he started that thing of as soon as we play it, it belongs to the people. And do you know what we had to go through with record companies when they, we let people record at shows? 
It was war, man. They didn't. That was the antithesis of what they hated. Yeah, you're taking. And so their we would go out there and play songs that we hadn't even recorded yet, brand new songs over and over again. That's the way the band did it, and then they would put them down on. When I when I heard Working Man's Dead and, and we did uh, American Beauty at Wally Hyder's, you know, I said, these albums are going to fucking blow people's minds. They're going to be the number one hit, but they weren't. You know, it took years for them to go gold. I just thought these were songs that people are going to, and, and they now they're American classics, I believe. You oh, know? yeah, that's... And they really are. Totally, yeah. And, you know, uh, it's endless. I mean, I was talking to you earlier about uh, Jerry and... Uh, Dylan and Frank Sinatra, you know, right. we met, Jerry and I met Frank Sinatra one time, and people recently told me, is that true, Steve? We don't know if that's true. It's damn true, man. <laughs> it's, this is the way our life always was, man, you know. And it was a crazy night, too, but we, he knew who we were, and we knew who he was, and we met in the Hilliport in Manhattan on Roosevelt Island, uh, where the Hilliport is on the very tip there, and people come and fly in from JFK, and we were going to pick the Garcia band up, me and Jerry, it was a pouring rain night again, and I go in there. Jerry wanted to get out of the hotel, and he rode over in the van with me to go get Melvin and the girls and everybody. And I go into this heliport, and it was just nobody in there. But I see this one guy sitting over there in a trench coat and a guy behind the counter, you know, talk to the guy behind the counter. And, I, and then I look over, and it's Frank Sinatra sitting there. You know, oh, I eyes walked over to him, and I said, hey, Frank, hi, I'm Steve, you know, Grateful Dead. And, and I got Jerry here, he said, you got Mr. Jerry Garcia? Bring him in here right now. You know, he, just like that, I swear to God, he knew all about the Grateful Dead. And Jerry and him sat there, and they had such a great talk, man. It was beautiful. And then uh, the rain kind of stopped, and Frank walked out. He threw his suit bag over his shoulder, put his hat on, you know, kind of waved goodbye to us. It was like a shot out of a movie. And he, he went, and he was playing in Atlantic City with um, Liza Minnelli and uh, Dean Martin, or whatever that, uh, Sammy Davis. Oh, shit. And uh, Eliza was standing in for Dean Martin that night. Wow. And I'd asked him, I said, hey, Frank, give me, I know he didn't like to give people his autograph, but his mother had just died about a month before the plane crash outside of Vegas in a private plane. Oh, shit. And my mother was like, she was big Sinatra fan. So you got to get so, him an autograph. Well, I had to. So I had, I grabbed an uh, index card and he said, for your mother, I'll give it to you. And so the promoter, Frank Russo was his name up in uh, Providence, he had given me a poster of that show because uh, he did it up in Providence. And I had that. I was going to give it to my mother when I saw her again. Mm -hmm. And so then I put that autograph with it. And somewhere, she, before she died, she gave it back to me. I got it somewhere oh, in my stuff. Oh, that's cool, That's man. so that good song. That was an yeah. amazing moment, you know? I mean, so there was a moment where I met Frank, too. So both <laughs> those people that I got lectured about... <gasps> What? I had to end up what? meeting them in life. And evidence. Well, I, you know, and talking <laughs> about evidence the, because yeah. only because somebody uh, questioned me on it. Before. Yeah, that's what yeah. I mean. You know, like, how, how dare you question me, sir? <laughs> because I don't lie about none of that. Why would I, man? I mean, yeah. that was the most beautiful part about going with Jerry to these places, like when he was with Ornette Coleman, and just me, him, and and Jerry are sitting there in the control room after Jerry played on his album uh, Virgin Beauty, mm -hmm. and then the talk they just spontaneously went into a talk about improvisational music and if I could t I wish I had a recorder I wish I I could share that with the world it was Aww. like listening to two angels talk about heaven man I what? mean they, I never heard any, any of it 
Well, you know who Ornette Coleman is, man? He was talking about oh, playing man. these deep sax parts, man, and these amazing music that he made in his life. And Jerry was so enamored with him, and you could tell that Ornette was enamored with him, and they were just oh. talking about these moments in musicians' life. Mostly Ornette did most of the talking. And Jerry, you know, had to agree and, and save some things, and it was, I just... I can't do it justice. No, so, yeah, yeah. Many you, years ago now. You, you know. talk about the power but of the grateful dead. It's in my head somewhere. I, I, the words are probably deep in there, but no. These stories, but, though, are gold. Yeah, man. They really, truly are. You're a living historian, you know? And it's such a big part of, even if it's just like well, not just the jam band culture, like it's part of American culture. And well, you've I got, think it's the, yeah, no, the, gonna, the serious radio show hits a lot of people's chord with them. I mean, they just give me so much back about how much it touches them because I talk about all oh, this shit, stuff and try to talk about history and everything that I know in my life that I had to learn. Well, and, thanks for giving uh, back for like on a, yeah, on a serious level like that. I was listening to your show today. You were interviewing John Mayer and. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a good show. It was a good one. And. I just thought to myself, what a good, like, this was great information, what you what you guys were talking about. And it was just a, like this, just a normal conversation. But what you were talking about and some technical stuff and then some, like, spiritual stuff. And, like, you're, right. you're talking it. about all of it. And I think that's why there's you're so important to the culture is that you're bringing up the, the, the LSD, the drug use, you're bringing up the hard work, you're bringing up the religious and spiritual experiences, you're bringing up the music, you're bringing up close relationships. Like it's not one thing, it's all of it. And you're, you're like donating it to the Fuck world. Yeah. That's really, really awesome. Well, that's why I say, I feel like, uh, um, Moby Dick, the last guy, yeah, you know, there you're to tell right. the story. Because uh, right now, Weir and I are working on uh, something that's really big with FX, uh, a TV series on my book. And we just started writing it, and we really got a great writer working with us. And that's going to be interesting, too. Because we're going to try to do some of the same stuff in that that you just hit on there. Yeah. Perfect. But uh, you see, um, you do have to give back sometimes in different ways, you know, and and so when you're lucky enough, I mean, wh who could ask for a better boss than Jerry Garcia in this right. world? You could not have, let me tell you that right there. Mm -hmm. And and how I ended up there, you know, and what there was lots of guys that would love to have done that, but they just didn't work out, you know, right. any other way. That was your destiny. And, and then, you know, to have people around me like Ramrod, who, who was so caring and sharing with me and teaching people like that when they pass that on to you and and they didn't all have the gift of gab that i have or something mm -hmm. like that you know mm -hmm. and so i feel that i speak for them sometimes and you know keezy when i first met him and ramrod uh and i were talking to him you know and, and he, he had written um you know one flew over the cuckoo's nest and he never went to see the movie because he was really pissed off about the way the whole thing went down. He sold the rights to it to a guy named Dale Wasserman who put it on a play in San Francisco mm -hmm. where it started. And then it became, uh, what's his name? Michael Douglas bought the rights and made the movie. But anyway, Keezy told me about that book. He said, you know, every book has a mouthpiece. He said, every book has a guy that talks and is the story voice of the author, right? right. Everybody knows that who reads. And anyway, his mouthpiece was the chief who didn't talk. It was brilliant. And, you know, <laughs> when he explained that to me, 
I understood things. There were people around me that were like that, that was sort of stoic in a way. You know, Hunter, right. uh, he, he could speak for himself for sure. Ramrock could speak for himself, but they didn't like to sometimes. They were private people, you know? Mm-hmm. And Jerry also was a private person. We all were in a lot of ways, so it was hard for me to start talking about everybody, but I realized that there's so much love out there for Jerry and for all these people, and to be so close to him like I was, you know, be his best man and two, three of his weddings. Oh, I mean, he's like, he's with special times and places, right. you know, and I wanted to tell people about him and how amazing he was. Well, you see. Steve, you know, uh, for somebody like me that never met him, uh, I miss the guy. I never even met him. And, and that just speaks to the, amazing. Prof- to the profound nature of the effect that that person and the music had on people. Were you ever at a Grateful Dead show where he played? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I've saw... Well, then you met him. Yeah. Then you met him because that was a part of him. <laughs> right. That yeah, was true. side of him yeah. that he put out, you see. Because he lived his life out on the stage in so many ways that mm. people like him who are so complicated do. And, you know, like we would talk about things in the afternoon. Let's say we came to an old theater in the early days and we'd be on the road, you know. And I would talk to... I'd look around. There was always an old stage hand, and He'd be really, you know, in a rocking chair or in a chair put aside in a place of honor. And, you know, I would sit and talk with him and I would say, you know, tell me about this theater. And he'd say, oh, wow, you know, this place, this is the, you know, uh, Syria Mosque in Pittsburgh, man. This is where all this happened. All these vaudeville guys were there. He would remember and dressing rooms that we were in were the same ones they were in, you know. And, And if you could feel these old theaters talk to you, right, and I would tell Jerry what I learned. And then he would play it that night. He would do what they call signaturing, you know, in the way the old jazz guys would do. So if I told him Al Jolson was here and played this place, the guy was telling me all about it and how he took 10 encores, you know, because he was crazy like that. And uh, so Jerry would put a little something in there, you know, of Al Jolson's songs, you know, Mammy, he'd play a little Mammy on the guitar. And maybe I'd hear it or somebody, or maybe somebody in the audience would catch it too, you know, but... He talked to the audience all the time. And so you did get to know him through his music, man. man. And you heard it. I did. And he always, you know, was playing stuff like that. Like, uh, he had an amazing thing. See, when he was a kid, he had a really hard life, you know, and his mother uh, had a bar in San Francisco that was in the toughest part of town and in the next to the Maritime Hall, you know, and this is... uh, right after World War II and all these real tough sailors, man, they were still lost men, you know, with whatever scars in their hearts and souls from mm-hmm. being merchant marine or, or in battles in the Pacific and stuff. And they would all be in this bar every morning at 6 a.m., man. And they were lined up to get a drink at 6 a.m., you know. They needed it to they steady their shit, yeah. And he had to go down and make his breakfast on the grill there. And they gave him a lot of shit, man. They weren't very nice, you know. And mm-hmm. so he learned to turn the jukebox up and play old songs and whatever was now it's considered, you know, be old. But then it was modern songs, you know. And, and so he immersed himself in music, man, and listened to the, the, the music not to turn all that other stuff out, which was ugly, you know. Became his and, armor. Uh, you know, his father drowned when he was three, and he was right there on the American River when he did. And his, uh, you know, brother chopped his finger off uh, when they had an argument when he was five, you know. And uh, these were traumatic things in his life, man. But he, he used them 
to make it better every time. He never drop a pick. I mean, a guy who uses that finger, <laughs> you think he might not be able to hold his pick, but he never dropped a pick. Very rarely yeah. did I ever pick up a pick on the ground by his equipment. You know, everybody else would drop a couple during the show. It's normal. But it, he just was that way, and it made him a better player in a lot of ways. He, he, did, he just was amazing with stringed instruments, you know, to see him with stringed instruments. But anyway... Did you guys get enough? Yeah, yeah, man. Hey, brother, you know what? I, I just you you've got a speechless, and that's rare. Yeah, <laughs> I, it's I feel amazing like it's to like hear story you talk. Time with Shut Jammies, us all the fuck up, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Steve. Thank you, brother. Well, let's do this again around a campfire. Oh, yeah, yes. we'll do it. We'll do it at Skull and Roses. I want to give you a high five and give you a hug, man. Thank you. All right, so your name's Ron, right? Okay, Aaron. I've got that. Aaron. Aaron. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ron, that's where Ron comes from, Aaron. Okay, sure. That works for me. <laughs> hey, 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 no, hey, hey, that yeah. That's a great name. That's a great name. Thanks, man. And uh, it's got a lot of respect. It's live up to it, man. Thank you, because brother. Because Aaron was a strong man. He was Moses' brother. It was his mouthpiece. He did a lot of the work, man. And, you know, Moses was a great man. He was taking the people to the land of Canaan, and that's where cannabis grew. And that's where the best hashish comes from in the world, the Bekaa Valley. That's why it's been fought over so many times. And those son of a bitches now, you can't get that stuff. But we wrote songs about it, Red Lebanese and Gold Lebanese hash. Yeah, back in the day. And uh, that was what we smoked, and that was beautiful stuff, man. And it all came from that area. And cannabis was what our ancestors lived on and breathed with, and they ate it, and they, they used it for clothing, and they used it for medicine, and they used it for every medicine that you can imagine, for uh, you know stomach ailments, and they knew more than we do to this day about it. Yeah. Now, uh, so I'm in, also, I've got a big Steve Cannabis line out you with uh, Grizzly Peak, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's in California, of course, but we're doing really good with it. And uh, you see, the roadies always had the best drugs. Oh, oh, yeah, they did. You don't think you don't think the band was able to, you know, have the connections we had. You know, so they all smoked my weed all the time. Right. You know? so, <laughs> now uh, we're bringing that out, and it's really worked out good. I, I've hooked up with the right people, and they're doing a great job with it, man. And we only grow straight organic flowers. You know, we're not making oil or any of this other stuff, but. It's great. Oh, and uh, when I see you guys, I'll give you some at Skull and Roses. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. That's awesome. That, yeah, bring well, the medicine I to the people. I think that's another sacrament. Exactly. Yes. I, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Apple works in and the you cannabis can ask me industry, any too. question in the world now. One uh, more question. On any subject, history, people, places, okay. Grateful Dead, rock and roll. I got, I got one for you. Okay. After all this crazy 50-year trip that you've been on, What's the one memory that stands out the most in your mind from all of it? Uh, well, you know, uh, there's so many, man. Oh. That's the thing, the beauty of it. There's so many. It's like a million points of beautiful stars. Every every day, I wish I'd have kept a diary of all the stuff that happened. It was so much stuff. But you can't be, you know, standing there and listening to the Grateful Dead and on the stage at the Great Pyramids, and when you step down those steps and you walked out behind the pyramids there you were standing in the Sahara desert man and and the stuff that was there around you you know you knew you were at this pinpoint uh as Keezy kept saying to us when when you die we'll all meet at the pyramids everybody meet at the pyramids when you die you know (laughs) that's kind of the feeling you get you know 
because it's so big. It's so big. And, and when you fly in from the air, you say, this is like something that is a, a star, from another a world. star map or something, man. Yeah. It's some kind of landmark. It's so huge, you know. And so you can't beat stuff like that for a guy like me that loves history. Now, mm-hmm. I can tell you I've had those same feelings at Winterland, standing there, you know, with everybody at New Year's Eve with all our buddies at Quicksilver oh, yeah. and the airplane and, and all of us playing New Year's together with Santana and, and you know, all our families and friends, man. You, you, and nobody bothering us, Bill Graham there, to make it right. You know, the pranksters there with us, the Hells Angels, all our friends. And those are amazing moments that I could trade for anything. Fuck you know, Steve. it's a memory that just will always warm me when I think about that party. Because it was like being beyond the green door, behind the green door, you know, in a place that was just magical. And to be right in the heart of it, man. Yeah. You look, it was just went right from the band out. Solid people everywhere, man. Well, you know and, what, man? Uh, from from me to you, place. thank you for tending the fire for us, brother. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, you welcome. That means a lot, man. Appreciate you saying that. Yeah. That means a lot. Thank to you me. for tending oh. the fire, man. And, and uh, thanks for taking time with us, Steve. Yeah. I, I know you're busy right. and shit, man. And, and I can't nice wait to meet you in you person. Guys. Can't wait to hear the yeah. band down to Skull yeah. Roses, man. That, I am psyched about Fuck that. Yeah. That just blows uh, my you're mind. Gonna see that. We're going to kick it out man, that night, but it will be different. Right, um, uh, also, uh, yeah, if you're ever in Mill Valley, I, you know, I'm at Sweetwater. I record my show there on Thursdays. Or, I mean, I do it live there on Thursdays sometimes. Cool. So if you hit it right, come see me. Yeah. All right, brother, you got it, man. If you're ever up in Portland, you got my number. You you got a home, we'll cook you a meal. You can hang out. We'll smoke some good well, Oregon you. bud I with you. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. All right, brother. You have a good That's night. Real nice, thank you, you so okay. much, Steve. Have a beautiful evening. Nice talking to you guys. You too. You have too, a great Steve. night. Thank okay. you. Soon, Steve. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Oh. Wow. That just happened. Oh. Hey. Yay, us. Yay, Steve. That was so... <sighs> so that good. was story time with Big Steve Parrish, everybody. Yeah, I think I said two sentences. Yeah, I just said uh-huh. it was. That was just yep, listen, and that could obviously go on for. Oh, dude, we could be well, here like all when night. He, when he said, "Well, I could tell you about that, but that'd take about fifteen hours." <laughs> I'll, I'll get <laughs> into right. that, but that's about a week. No long wonder discussion. everybody wanted him around because. He was like that. <laughs> yeah. He's like that. Well, like, I, he's going to learn from the security guards and from the old freaking um, roadies and the old, ever, like, that's incredible. And it makes sense now more why he was Jerry's best man to me. Because Jerry, it's it seems to me in my head that Jerry was insulated from everything because he was traveling and going and doing all the stuff. He's got a guy that can go out and do all that, that the the groundwork for him and, and fill like him in. And like his rock, too. yeah, like that rock, that solid person that you know you can. Oh, dude, yeah. Hey, you, let me Steve. put my head on your shoulder for yeah, a minute, brother. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. And you and, and and he's got his back. You're gonna be taken care of, Jerry. You're gonna, you know. That's, I can understand. That's like a solid. Why Steve would need somebody to like, like, what do you want to know? There's too many things. Yeah, in where this do I? Head. Okay, here we go. Yeah, well, <laughs> what's the question? Because I'll answer it, but you gotta. Well, leave I, I don't me. even think we. <laughs> there was nothing to did we ask. ask. A question? No, there was really nothing to. <laughs> I mean, I asked a couple, but there was just based on what he was saying. It, he's so dynamic. So that is my favorite kind of storytelling. Yeah. That style of storytelling is my favorite 
because there's a lot going on while he's talking. He's not just talking about what he's talking about. There's a lot happening. And you feel that it's like a train. You feel the energy building Mm -hmm. and and coming out. And sometimes it gets a little blocked up and it's like, you feel the energy. Like he said, electric, it's electric. It talks electric. It builds electricity. It's, it's wow. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. True is wow right now. Well, all of a sudden, you know, just wow. Wow. Okay. What I love is one, he knows how fortunate and lucky and blessed he is. That right there. And the whole cannabis thing too. The cannabis thing, the, his openness, just the factual, like, yeah, it's just Yeah, facts. we were taking like, a lot of acid. It yeah. was because of the psychedelics. Yeah. Ain't nothing to hide. Yeah, yeah it was shame, a you know, religious experience. Yeah, like, when when somebody's just able to just talk off the cuff, you know what I mean? And just their heart's open, their mind's open, they're just open. That is you know, rare and something I aspired for. I think with people like Steve what other people respond to it, it, apart from the energy of it is the fact that there's somebody that's just being themselves there's no bullshit with him there's n- he's not putting on a character that's not a mask or a persona that's fucking big steve he's going to be like that at three o'clock in the morning when he wakes yeah, up and that, if and he that's bumped not, him while he's sleeping if you met him on a train whatever and that's not ego or bragging oh, or uh, anything that's like that's i did just this. hey man this is my life that's and a special a lot person. of people that like it touched it seemed, like him it seemed like him and jerry were like brothers like oh yeah soul brothers you know mm-hmm. and that that's why there wasn't really too much like time away from each other they got another band like you know ro- traveling like that's your brother for life and in a weird kind of a way like i wasn't i was trying not to let myself be overwhelmed by the thought of doing having this conversation tonight but in a way it's it's like meeting the brother of the man that changed your world do you know what i mean it, yeah. it's like it, that's yeah. what it, it or th- because jerry's spirit is indelibly indelibly impressed upon parish well, every like he said, everybody. He, I wrote it right here. He said Jerry lived life on stage. That means that if you were at a concert, you were part of what of he world. of his world, what he was doing. It's like coming to someone's house. That oh, was his sure. house. Yeah. He was showing you what he was about. Yeah. There's no, especially after you take an LSD and doing all this shit, you realize there's no difference between the person in the twentieth row or on stage. Or in the right, back, right? We're all having the same dream. We're all having a sim- similar experience. Like we're all getting healed. We're all getting our emotional fucking shit kicked out of us. Like it's happening. It's, he's that was awesome. Yeah, no uh, exclusion. Thank you, thank you, Steve. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, wow. And if you needed more coaxing to buy tickets for skull and roses like i don't know <laughs> what to tell you man i i can't do better than that I well, <laughs> that's as good as i'm gonna give I you mean, so just as good as kimak was last week is yeah. just as good as big steve Pie this out. week like these guys that have been playing music their whole life Musicians are just a special That's, bunch of people. Yeah, these They're guys are the old guard. This is the these old guard. Especially. These are the guys no, that have especially. lived it since the beginning. That's the old guard. Yeah. These yeah. guys have 
no bullshit. And just they've been some, around since the inception. Just someone who would dedicate their life to playing music is uh, is an admirable. It's right, very but, admirable. But if you listen to what he said, it was more than that. To yeah, them. it was a music. A, I'm, I'm, it could be like God at this point. Okay. You know yeah, what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I anyone devoted to that, to doing that thing, going out there and rocking people's world and not just like literally with mute, like good sounds, like what the sound was doing, what your body was doing to create the sound, like mm-hmm. the whole thing of it, not just playing notes. Yep. All right. Hey listeners. I want to tell you about the April-May 2023 issue of Relics Magazine. It features a Dave Matthews Band cover story with additional articles and interviews with The National, Graham Nash, Wayne Shorter, ALO, Ivan Neville, our friend Eric Krasno and Stanton Moore, Marty Stewart, and much more. Check out the latest version of Relics and subscribe now at relics.com slash DMB. Thanks, Relics. Thanks. Well, I don't even know what to say. There's wow. nothing to say. Do sometimes. all the things and s- say all the stuff and go to all the places. Love one another. Yeah. Follow us on Instagram yeah. at yeah. No Simple Road. Uh, visit us on our website at nosimpleroad.com. Uh, donate to Patreon if you guys feel so inclined. Patreon.com um, forward slash No Simple Leave Road. us a five star review on iTunes so that we can read them and we can get higher in the rankings. Um, we are part of Osiris, our Mel beautiful, Go, wonderful media partner. And we just want you to know that we love you, that we brought you the best of the best for Skull and Roses story time with Big Steve. Yeah, man. Enjoy yourselves and hug a stranger if it's appropriate. Smile at each other. And smile. Stay and, tuned. Uh, more to come. Safety third. Know that No Simple Road loves you. We'll see you next week with more stuff and things. Peace. Be nice to each other. Mwah. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. 
Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast.